you need to get your your crew lined up. And, and let's do be it. honest, David David Goggins is pretty busy right now. So if you're going to secure him as uh, your motivational speaker <laughs> at mile 75, stay hard. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Coaches on Couches. Being slouches. Today, we're going to drop our, we're going to give the runners a little love today. We're going to drop our uh, our top 10 tips for those of you doing 100-mile ultramarathons. Woo! There you go. We like time on your feet. This one's for you. Yeah. Like time in the woods, time on your feet. If you like to eat all kinds of stuff. At all hours. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, who doesn't really? This is your excuse <laughs> to where it's okay. <laughs> we've uh, we've worked with a lot of uh, ultra distance athletes over the years, and we've learned a thing or two about a thing or two. And there's some really important, oftentimes overlooked things that we want to get across to f- those folks who are maybe not as experienced or doing their first or considering doing one. So, yeah, this is all based off those successes and failures that athletes have had. There's been learning both. through them. Yeah. But first I'm coach Dale Sanford. I am coach Bryant Funston. We are the co-founders of BPC performance coaching, where we specialize in helping time crunched athletes optimize their busy schedules so they can maximize their athletic performance. You can find out more about BPC by going to buildpeakcompete.com. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube at buildpeakcompete and all up on that Instagram at BPC Performance. Not bad, Funson. No, no, no script. No script on that one. No script. You know, we kind of got back into a flow, Dale. We're now right, we're back in a flow. I've got it memorized a again. Flow. Mm-hmm. So you've decided to take on, not you. No, no, I've not, never done this. So uh, I'm speaking on the coach's behalf, not on the personal experience behalf over here. Brian's going to add color here. I will. Um, so you've decided to do what very few people on earth would ever consider doing, and you're going to take on a 100-mile ultra marathon. Now, in doing that, a lot of people think it's just running and getting the miles in to be able to finish this monster, but there's a lot more to it. And, and jog. Right? It's just a yog. <laughs> it's just a long yog. I believe it's a soft J. Soft J for sure. Yeah. Let's jump right into it. 10 tips. And we're going hit to hit you with them as quick as we can, yeah. which is no guarantee, but 10 tips coming at you. Number one, Dale. For fast people, we sure are, we sure can string it out. We can. It's uh, like, uh, is it Letterman where he does the, the 10 countdown? Number 10. Oh, yeah. We're going to go from one to 10, though. Uh, all right. So one. All that. Uh, your volume does not have to even be close to 100 miles. For most people, they're going to do a 50-mile run max. I've had a few people do 100K, but 50 miles max. And generally speaking, my biggest weekend, so biggest training volume in Saturday and Sunday is going to be 12 hours. So you might do that as eight and four. You might do that as six and six. Uh, I've done it all different ways with people. Maybe seven and five. You could do seven and five. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's an option. (laughs) Does that add to 12? Yes. (laughs) Your weekday volume is going to vary based on your availability and whatnot. And generally speaking, those weekday runs are going to be 
the more quality stuff like hill work and, and, and that sort of thing. But your biggest weekend is only going to be about 12 hours. Realistically, if you're doing more than that, it's not necessarily bad, but the risk reward generally is just not there unless you've been doing ultras for years and mm-hmm. you can run uh, miles and miles and miles and not break yourself. Yeah. That's the huge thing. Like training puts a stress in training longer, puts more stress in training long back to back, obviously increases stress. So you have to be able to recover from that. If you're not recovering from it, injuries happen, decreases in performance happen. So essentially you're trying to mitigate that. Yeah. I've had a lot of people do a hundred mile ultras on no more than 12 hours. So and then total, this is something we were kind of chatting about, total weekly volume estimate. Obviously, it's going to vary person to person, but when you're talking about the big training week. Yeah, it really is only like 15 hours. So there, there, there wouldn't be more than another like 90 or two 90-minute runs during the week. Uh, generally speaking, I don't have, and this is another something to put into training part of it, but I don't have people running more than four days a week if they're doing ultra because the weekend is so demanding. Exactly. Like you, you really can't, you have to give them days off between runs because you're stacking the weekend so heavy. And you know what? I like, uh, I like getting runners to lift and I like them doing low impact stuff uh, to kind of continue to build the uh, aerobic system. So perfect. Number two, number two, train your gut. Huge. This is a huge one. It's kind of like on the intro here. Eat all the things all times a day. Yeah. You you <laughs> really have to be able to, because in ultra, like I know there's a lot of information out there right now. It's a hot topic. You know, anything you listen to is like telling you that 60 to 90 plus grams of carbs per hour. But with a hundred mile ultra, you're out there for so long. You do need some other macronutrients, fat, protein. So while you should be kind of aiming for those carb goals, you still want to have uh, some other food in there that is going to have some fat and protein so that your body has some, o- some other sources of fuel, but also so that your, your body doesn't start to break down your muscles uh, if you do get in a deficit. Uh, and that's kind of where protein comes, comes into play a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it's going to help with taste fatigue, which can be a yeah. very real thing. If you're just, your plan is to slam gels for, uh, for 100 miles. It prevents you from having to carry like a ton of, of your own food. You can eat a little bit more off of the aid stations and stuff like that, which are wildly different, mm-hmm. uh, in ultra you'll have, you'll have races that have baked potatoes and stuff like that. And then you'll have races that have like M&Ms and it's just all over the map. One of the things that you can do is eat like full meal and then go run. Yeah. I think that's, <laughs> this would probably be an important note to say, we don't mean you need to train your gut with a bunch of different variety of things outside of training necessarily. Oh, no. So it's not like, Hey, let's practice We're eating not ice saying... cream at 2am. No, this is like train your gut during exercise and the time just before exercise so that you can see. Yeah. I don't mean cash, uh, cash a 12 pack of beers every weekend so that you <laughs> Have a bigger gut to go no. do your 100 mile with. No, definitely not. Okay, so we got that across. All right, number three. We have to dial in our hydration. The fueling and hydration, the longer that you go, the more important they are. The The more risk you run at that being the limiter of your race, de- demolishing your race. So in hydration, we're talking fluid 
or electrolytes, and both of them can get out of whack and both of them can cause problems. Mm -hmm. So dialing in your electrolyte needs and what you need in the bottle, how much fluid you're going to need, it's going to vary for temperatures and different conditions and stuff like that. But you need to dial all that in as best as you can along the way. And then within the last, like, hopefully within the last, like, four to six weeks of your training, you are just nailing those, you know, your your carb goals or your 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 nutrition goals and your uh, hydration goals. They should just be locked in within that last, like, four weeks. Yep. You don't, don't leave it up to, uh, you're still doing trial and error when, no. when you're doing your biggest volume. Don't be trying new stuff at that point. And don't change it up on race day. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> that was not, I feel like that's a given. So like, I would hope so. All right. Number four. This is, this is absolutely unequivocally, maybe not the most important, but it is very high up there. Get your crew lined up. I know mm -hmm. people do these things unsupported, but unless you're a crazy person, you need to get your, your crew lined up and, and let's do be it. honest, David, David Goggins is pretty busy right now. So if you're going to secure him as uh, your motivational speaker <laughs> at mile 75, stay hard. <laughs> you're going to have to, you have to do it early. Yeah. So get, get your crew lined up early and get your logistics figured out. Ideally you'll have like three people, at least three or more people in your crew. And that way you have one person uh, resting because you're going to be out there a while and people, these people are going to need sleep. So you have one person resting, one person manning the, the special needs areas or the aid stations where you can have a crew, you know, setting out your chair and like getting your food ready for you and all that stuff. And then you have a pacer. So when you can use a pacer, so ideally you'll have those three people alternating roles at times, or, you know, they could do all the one job, but everyone has a role in it and they all are important. So around three people, get it lined up, go through the course map, learn where you can have a pacer, where you can't, where the aid stations are set up, where the crew can come in, you know, and then just like have a plan way ahead of time reduces a load of stress and can't mess it up. It's, it is wildly important. I've seen people try to go at this at hundred mile distance with no crew or like one person even, and it just doesn't go well because mm -hmm. that person eventually needs to rest and sleep. You're, you're like putting, if you're putting one person through sleep deprivation, they might as well be in the race with you. Yeah. And the less you're going to be going through a lot of stress on race day, just by the nature of the sport, it does provide a lot of stress. So the more you can mitigate stress in all other areas, the better off your day is going to be. And don't make the one person be a, your significant other. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, that will not go well. <laughs> I've seen it. It doesn't go well. <laughs> so three people, one can be your significant other, but the other two, somebody that can can have maybe some uh, some thick skin when you're not feeling great and you're trying to tell them what to do and they don't want to hear it. And really ideal that these people actually know you if possible. That's good too. So they kind of know your ability. They know your mannerisms. They know your emotional needs at different times. True. All right. Number five. You need to train for downhills. Everyone, what? everyone. Oh, hey, that's easy. That's where you make up time, Dale. <laughs> Everyone worries about how much elevation is on these courses, but it's not the uphills that are going to kill you. It is the downhills. As you run downhill, it is far higher impact than going uphill. So your 
quads and your calves and your hips and your glutes are all taking tons and tons of eccentric load when you're going downhill. And eventually that is what is going to fatigue your legs out. And once your legs are demolished from fatigue, they're not coming back. You're going to struggle the rest of the way. Sayonara. So train for downhills. We use... Quick recommend, yeah, I was going to say quick recommendation. We there. use strength training and we actually do downhill running workouts, both form-based and impact-based. We want to go downhill fast. First, we want to develop good downhill form, and then we want to do that faster to get the impact. The other side of it is doing the strength training, and we'll work somebody through heavier lifting and take them into to eccentric plyos, like things like depth drops into depth jumps and you know, stuff like that, where they're taking, their body's having to take on a lot of eccentric load. Perfect. Number six, practice night running. Hmm. Yeah. A tough one for me. Yeah. <laughs> like my sleep in the middle of the night. And yeah, you can do it. Like ideally you'll wake up at the crack of dawn, put on a headlight and you'll go run. You mean the crack of midnight? Yeah. Crack of, yeah. <laughs> try, yeah. That could be a point. <laughs> it would no longer be night. It running, would no would longer it? be night, night running. So yeah, you, you'll, you'll wake up in the middle of the night, put on a headlight and head out. Ideally on a trail because you need to learn like one, you need to dial in your lighting because not all headlights are headlamps are made equal, mm-hmm. but you may find that you are a little more night blind than you thought you were or something uh, where you're not picking up. Maybe you don't pick up on the roots quite as well, or, you know, rocks in the ground. You don't see that stuff as well at night and you have to be extra careful as you're running. I mean, we have had athletes whose race ended because they tripped over something and like blew their knee open. So practice night running and you're going to be a whole lot more confident with it when you have to do it. There are there. I mean, there's ultras that start at 6 PM just so that you get the night running out of the way. You're not, unless you're flying, you're not going to avoid it. Perfect. Number seven, pack for all possible conditions. You cannot rely on the weather station. No. If it's a, if it's a possibility to get rain, you need rain gear. If it's a possibility that's going to be cold, you need layers. If it's a possibility it's going to be super duper hot, bring the lightest clothing that you have. If you're running in direct sunlight, bring your like flowy white sun gear. You're out there for so long, the weather can swing. And there's there are ultras where it's like 80 during the day and 40 at night. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to change your clothes and stay comfortable Anything you can do to reduce the mental stress on yourself Mm -hmm. uh, is huge. And if you're at hour, say, 16 in the middle of the night when it's cold, your body may, you may not have been there before, right? So your body may be reacting far differently. You may have been fine hour two when you were doing your night run. When your body was fresh and you were feeling good, you can run in 40s just fine. But you may end up at a spot where your body is not handling the temperature changes nearly as well because your body's depleted. So having clothing to, to help you there is huge. Also in the packing list should be like multiple pairs of socks, multiple pairs of shoes. Most ultra runners will change shoes at some point. And if your feet get sweaty or wet, like every chance you get, you can change your socks like that. Anything to, to keep you comfortable mm-hmm. again, to reduce the mental stress of what you're doing, it's going to go really far. Perfect. Number eight. I think this is an important one. Yeah. So we have a whole podcast on the art of race selection, Mm -hmm. but you have to be smart about the event that you're picking. 
you know, maybe not if it's, if you've done a million of them, you know, maybe you want the challenge of a hard course or really terrible conditions. But if you're doing your first and your intention is to finish, be smart about it. If you're picking bad water as your first ultra marathon and you suck in the heat because your sweat rate's massive and yeah, you have a high sweat sodium concentrate, like that's, you, you've put yourself already on the back foot. Mm -hmm. So look at, you know, if you're picking event, look at the course, look at the conditions, pay attention to the time of year. One thing that a lot of people don't think about is some people will pick events that are too close to like school getting out or school getting back in Mm -hmm. where life stress is super high. Yeah. You still, you're in the summer, but if your family is already in like the like mental mode of like trying to do back to school, like that is a kind of a poor time to pick a a big goal race. Oh, for sure. Look at those pinch points on a calendar and try to avoid them. Again, you're reducing stress anywhere near that event. Mm-hmm. Or the people that maybe choose like, oh, ideal temps are going to be perfect in October, but you may live in a place that's super hot all the way through the beginning of that. And this nice cool race that you're planning on doing, you may be doing massive miles on a weekend where temps are just ridiculous. And you can put yourself into to issues. So kind of think through it. Think through the demands of the event. Think through the training that's going to have to happen and choose something that is going to allow you a greater chance of being successful. Yeah. If you're if you're not a technical runner, if, you're, if you've done trail running, you've been in trail running and you think that a, a hundred miles is like the next step for you, but you're not very good at like technical sections, like really rocky downhills or hiking really rocky uphills or like... Water, water crossings or yeah, stuff like that. Like if those are things are a challenge for you right now, don't pick a race with those things in it. Perfect. Number nine. You got to do the small things for reducing the risk of injury, recovery things, recovery purposes. So that includes, but is not limited to strength work. I'll say it again. Strength work. This is the second time we mentioned it. Actually, third. third. You just did it I'm two times in a row. Time. Strength work and lifting heavier, all right, that is going to make you durable as hell. And that is how you are going to reduce the risk of injury probably more than any of these other things. Flexibility, doing like stretching normally and not letting muscles get overly tight or imbalanced due to one side of your body uh, tightening up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mobility goes into the same topic, but with the amount of pounding that your body takes, it is very, very, very easy for you to get uh, your your hips misaligned or your SI joint gets all tweaked or whatever, a million things. You can get little tiny bones in your foot that get out of place. And all of a sudden you have this like problem with your foot that you think is a stress fracture, but it's just a small bone that is out of place. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these things that you can that can go wrong when you're putting this much pounding on your body. If you do the strength, the flexibility, the mobility work, those things don't come on nearly as often when you're, when you're getting those things in. The other bits are like eating clean, Mm -hmm. taking the recovery days, like taking recovery seriously. And all of these can be kind of grouped into recovery, but it really is. Yeah. But we're talking more about like the recovery that's in your training plan. So like days off, like really trying to take a day off seriously Mm -hmm. or a low impact day, like trying not to go too hard on a day that's supposed to be really easy. Get your sleep. Oh, sleep is massive. The, the other big one 
and this is, I feel like I, I say this weekly and it is my first, when somebody has like a random issue in their lower legs, my first thing is, well, how old are your shoes? Pay attention to how much mileage is on your shoes. Start rotating a few pairs through. Don't wear your, don't wear the same running shoes to lift weights in. Uh, Don't walk around them in them as your daily shoes because they're going to deteriorate so much faster, but track the mileage on your shoes. And I'm sorry. And this is a sad part of the sport of running, but come on, folks. Cycling is so much more expensive. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Nowadays, you're running $150 on a pair of shoes, a, a decent pair of shoes. And you might have to go through in the, in the training for a hundred, you're probably going to go through two or three pairs of shoes easy. And then you're going to want to have some on race day that are pretty fresh to, to rotate through. So just pay attention to your shoes because that's probably the number one source of random lower leg issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't skip there. All right. Number and the final one, number 10. We're crushing this podcast. Yeah, we are. We're flying through this. Quickest one ever. <laughs> My biggest recommendation to anyone who has, if you've never done a hundred and you've never, if you've done a hundred and you've never done this course or you've never done a hundred, do not set a pace goal. Don't. Because the course and the conditions will determine that for you. It can swing wildly mm-hmm. depending on those two things. And this is what we tell people in all the disciplines that we coach in. Like the conditions on the day can impact and very likely will impact what sort of pace, speed, power, yada, yada that you hold. And the longer the event is, the more that it swings. Mm -hmm. What I tell most people, and this is kind of like goes into like, well, then how should I pace it? Look, you're going to be running and and hiking unless you're kind of up in that pointy end of the spear here on uh, competitive ultra marathoners, but you're going to run the flat sections you're going to run the gradual ups and the gradual downs, and then you need to hike the really steep ups and especially the really steep downs. Again, it goes back to training the downhills, but downhills are the most impactful parts of a course on your legs. So if you you know, you run in the flats, you run the gradual ups, the gradual downs, and then hike the steep stuff you're going to, you're going to save your muscles from a massive amount of fatigue. I know like a lot of people, they're like, well, I I can go really fast downhill and make up time. Well, you might make up time for the first 50 miles or 30 miles or whatever. But if you're running down, like in a course, like, you know, people will quite like course, like Western States where it's like 10 miles uphill and then like 70 miles, 72 miles or whatever it is downhill into Mm -hmm. the valley you know, like, am I supposed to hike 70 miles? No, but that's, but the, the course gives you varying downhill. Some of it's really technical, steep downhill. Yeah. You got to hike that. Some of it's very gradual and there is some flat in there. It just nets downhill mm-hmm. over 70 miles. So like pick and choose and then start with that strategy early. And then if your legs feel great at mile 80, you can start running some of the steeper downhills. Exactly. Great. Or much I would probably easier wait till to 90, ramp late. Yeah. Much easier to ramp late than to blow yourself up early and then try to salvage. Yeah, a lot. Even a lot can even happen over <clears throat> over the last ten miles. So mm-hmm. you're probably going to want to try to keep that uh, strategy 
for the majority of the race. And mm-hmm. then if you're feeling just froggy toward the end, then yeah. And you're going to be so much happier <laughs> at the end that you did that. Ask me how I know, because I've, I've gone into races trying to stick with people who are arguably fitter than me going downhill. And I ran more downhills than I should. And I blew sky high mm-hmm. to the point where I had to start like hiking down hills backwards because my quads were just gone. Not something you practice a whole lot. I didn't. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> no, I didn't. So that's it. That's our top 10. These things are like probably the most important things we've learned over the years. I mean, obviously, yes, there's a crap ton more to it. So if we've missed something, if you're a experienced ultra marathoner and, we, and we've missed something, throw it in the comments. If you have a question about something, throw it in the comments. We do try to answer all those as, as best as we can. Ultra marathoning is hard. There's a huge mental aspect to it. But if you if you kind of like lock in a lot of these tips, you're going to be so much so much more prepared and confident when you line up on the start line on race day. Cool. All right. If we missed anything, post it up for us. Uh, we always like to hear your feedback and uh, stuff from your own personal experience. So be sure to post that. And I guess until the next time. Adios. Peace.